G'day and welcome to the In The Know, On The Go podcast produced by Humans of Agriculture. Our podcast is designed to get you across the things that matter in Aussie agribusiness in a way that's just, well, bloody easy to understand. Think of me as a friend, I, that is learning with you as we discover and chat about the topics from farm to fork and even beyond. Welcome back to the In The Know, On The Go podcast. Our next guest comes with a really interesting background. Catherine Sayer was the previous CEO of Food South Australia. We're sure we've crossed paths somewhere, but we can't actually put our fingers on it. But Catherine, how we actually got introduced to the Family Business Association was through Olivia in your team, and she came along to our Women in Agriculture event, which is actually just insane to think that it was in March. (laughs) I feel like we're coming around to it again, but welcome to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. It's great to have you. Thanks so much, Ollie. Week four and doing podcasts already, it's not bad. How's the start of the new role been? Look, it's really been fabulous. There's so much to do, but it's really exciting. And I think what most people don't really understand is how significant family businesses are in Australia, across Australia and New Zealand, not only from an economic point of view, but the real cultural fabric of family businesses that immerses itself in our community. So it's a fascinating sector and, of course, very broad sector, ranging from small to medium to large across any sector that you can probably imagine. So a lot to learn, lots to do. But as I've said to you before, I'm on a bit of an adventure. <laughs> well, and 12 years in your previous role as in at Food South Australia as the CEO Well, it was actually there. 13 and a half. Oh, my God. How has the transition been to going into a new business and also, I guess, yeah, leaving somewhere which had been a huge part of your life? Well, it was a huge part of my life because I was also involved with an organisation called Flavour SA for seven years before. So we call it around 20 years involved in you know, food and beverage associations in South Australia. So I had the privilege of establishing Food South Australia in 2010, bringing two organisations together. And we had a very simple mandate. It was about helping our industry grow. And of course, we had strategic pillars that we worked towards and grew membership over those 13 and a half years. And really, it was really interesting because there's not a food essay in any other state. You know, there's not a food, Vic, there's not a food New South Wales, there's not a food Queensland, et cetera, et cetera. So we held this really unique space on a state-based perspective. And then, of course, there are regional food and beverage groups around Australia, but we were certainly the biggest one in Australia. So 30 years ago, showing my age, lived in Melbourne when I was very young and had the experience of working in a couple of multinational businesses and then did move back to Adelaide after the, after about five and a half years. So if I was going to call anywhere my second home, Melbourne would be it. And I have to say from a life point of view, I've settled right back into it really well and I've still got some lovely friends from those 30 years ago. So for me, it was at my age and stage of life and career it was time to make a move and I absolutely loved every minute of Food South Australia and to go to another job in Adelaide wouldn't have really cut it. It had to be a big change for me and I was really fortunate when the opportunity with Family Business Association, FBA, came up and having that membership background I think has really enabled me to feel like I understand the business reasonably quickly. I've got a lot more to learn, but the basics are there. And of course, the Food South Australia members were, a lot of them were family-owned businesses as well. So they're members of FBA as well as Food SA. So the transition has not actually been all that traumatic or difficult. It's actually been exciting, both from a personal and a professional point of view. One thing I've always been curious to know is when a CEO has their first day, what do you do? Do you just 
turn up, walk into the building or what actually happens? Well, that's a really good question because I was wondering the same thing myself. And particularly having not been, like I've had a very stable employment history, so I don't have many first days. So I suppose I was fortunate again because there was time that I spent with the FBA board and some of the team in advance of me starting. So And then the week before I popped into the office to meet people. And so when I walked in day one, it was, it didn't really feel like day one. So I kind of, it was a bit of a soft landing because I'd had that exposure. I wasn't sort of walking into something that I just hadn't had any sort of exposure to in advance. But I have to say by about day three, I didn't feel like I was new. (laughs) But I think that was all about really trying to get my head around things before I started. And also that transition from a membership based to a membership based organization had a level of familiarity as well. So another question, this food and agriculture scene has been a huge part of your career. What were the influences or what have been the influences to work in this sector? Well, it's funny. I just continued to be drawn back into the sector. So my grandparents were farmers. My mum grew up on a farm. So I had some exposure to agriculture when I was very young. And then Once I've done the ARCD course and I've been really lucky to sit on quite a number of boards over the last 20 odd years, and a lot of them just seem to be sort of agriculture or primary production related and particularly in seafood. So I suppose I had my first break from a governance point of view and board point of view in South Australia where I was appointed the chair of the Prawn Fishery Management Committee and I didn't know anything about seafood back then. And I think how gentle these prawn fishermen were (laughs) with me when I sort of chaired my way through the first couple of years, sort of not really knowing very much. And they were fantastic. But then moved into lobsters and then fisheries council, uh, state government. So I floated between being on advisory committees and chairing them for government, as well as leading some industry-based boards as well. So A lot of it has been seafood. I was on the inaugural Rural Financial Counselling Board in South Australia when that was all revamped across the nation, and that was many years ago. So it has largely been seafood, but there have been other agriculture sectors that I've worked in. But then food and beverage is where I landed with my day job. And, of course, you know, there's a lot of value-adding that goes from agriculture into food and beverage production. So It's always, I don't know, I think agriculture, food, beverage, that whole agribusiness scene, they're really good people. You know, I love working with them. And I think that particularly in seafood, I'm currently the deputy chair of Seafood Industry Australia. And, you know, we need to make sure that the profile of the industry, seafood and broader, really exists in the hearts and minds of the general population because You know, you think back to COVID and some of the stresses on supply chains, we were never going to run out of food and that's because we've got a great agriculture sector, a primary production sector and also a food and beverage manufacturing sector. So, you know, you've got to be proud of being part of an industry that you can't live without, to be honest. It is. It's something really special to be part of. Tell me, because we haven't done much on this seafood industry at all in Australia. I've dabbled and done tiny little various feasibility studies in a previous life on things like tree pang sea cucumbers to most people, but and a little bit on southern rock lobster. But maybe what are from what you've seen, what are those opportunities and what does the state of seafood look like in Australia? Good question. It supports a lot of regional communities to start with. So it's a really critical sector from a socioeconomic point of view. But it also 
The, really, seafood is made up of wild-caught seafood or aquaculture, and they are both very different sectors. And then, of course, you've got your subsectors of all the different species. So if you think about wild-caught fisheries, we there's a lot of misunderstanding. We have very sustainable fisheries, wild-caught fisheries in Australia. So that argument doesn't really wash very well with me when people say, oh, you're fishing in unsustainable waters. That's not true. We've got really highly regulated and managed fisheries across the whole of Australia. What it does mean, though, is there's a limit to how much you can catch, and that's part of that regulation. So a lot of the fisheries are quota-managed, So there's a cap as to how much you can catch every year. What that then means is it's very special. Wild-caught fisheries have got really special products. And so you talk about Southern Rock lobster and, you know, at times it's been the most expensive lobster in the world because of its appeal to certain markets. You've got, I mean, wild-caught fisheries, and I suppose I'm a little bit biased because I'm from South Australia, which I call the seafood capital of the world, But, you know, it's interesting, even from a flavour point of view, the different regions, tropical fish taste different to those caught in the southern waters. And I don't know whether this is a wife's tale or, in fact, true, but it's so cold, the water, that the fish have to swim a whole lot more. And so they've got a different flesh, different taste, all that sort of thing. So that may or may not be true, but, you know, let's run with it. From an aquaculture point of view, there's some incredible work going on in in aquaculture. And again, there's the naysayers around, but if you think about the volume, so it's more of a volume piece, although there is definitely that premium side of it. You know, so aquaculture is almost limitless in some respects. Having said that, it's still heavily regulated. So it's not that everyone's going out and setting up new aquaculture farms and environments, but wild catch and aquaculture are a very big part of regional communities and really important to the economy. You've had a fascinating background, haven't you? You've covered so much. <laughs> oh, it's fun. Great fun. Oh, it is. So I think we've got a decent, we've got a snippet, I guess, of an understanding behind you, Catherine. But then let's chat about the Family Business Association because it's something that I think would love our audience and agriculture to actually know more about. But for you personally, the opportunity came up to be the CEO. Why did you apply for it? Well, there's a number of different answers to that. One was, as I said before, another job in Adelaide didn't really hold appeal to me. It was time for a move. And my heart ultimately said, go to Melbourne. And I made a really good choice because I really feel like I've slotted back in here. So that's been great. I suppose it was then a case of, do you choose to continue down a path of sort of membership and association world or do you go into the corporate world or do you go into something else? And this opportunity came up and I looked at it and I went, that'll be pretty cool. And it's a same but different environment. So for me, what I've learned from a food essay perspective and what I can see that's been done really well at FBA, I'm thinking it can all come together and you know, th- there is actually very little voice of family business in across Australia. And I think one of the exciting opportunities for me is the advocacy piece and really working out what the messaging is for the general community about the importance of family businesses and what do they look like? It's a bit amorphous, I think. And so to give family businesses a voice through FBA, I think is one of those things that's going to be really critical and held huge appeal for me. I'm interested, that definition, am I technically a family business if I'm the only owner person in it? That is, it's so interesting. I keep asking, you're probably a sole trader and I reckon we could help you out potentially, but it's more possibly, but it's really about 
I think one of the FBA's core businesses or core business is around succession planning and that piece around how you move through the generations. But I think we call someone like you potentially as a first generation entrepreneur. And so you might end up having family members. It's interesting because some of the larger businesses, not all our members are family members. It could be the CEO who's an external, or but it is a, defined as a family business. It's actually easier the more generational it becomes, but there's a lot of first-generation family businesses. And there's no shortage of them in agriculture. I think it's more, I think it's about 90% of Aussie agricultural businesses are family-owned or thereabouts. Yeah, which is fantastic because you think about that social fabric that, again, in regional communities, family businesses have a long-term horizon that they look at. And that's there's something really comforting from an Australian point of view for those that have that very long-term perspective about, you know, supporting their family and then the wider community. And so what are the areas that family business or FBI is operating along? What are your priority areas? So we are first and foremost a membership-based organisation, but then once you open that door, there's a whole lot of education courses, for example, around succession planning, around, you know, the family business dynamics and other things. We have this really good program called the Forum Program. And what that is, it's a facilitated by someone, small group of people, probably a maximum of 10 or 12, and they get together once a month. Now, some of the people in the FBI membership have been doing this for over 20 years. And, you know, going to the same forum group, obviously people dip in and out a little bit, but there's, that core has remained. And I find that incredible, the value that people put on the forum group. And from an agriculture or from a primary producer's point of view, agribusiness point of view, we've recognised that a virtual forum is something that is potentially accessible to regional communities. So we're definitely promoting the virtual forum. So it's not only the city slickers that get the opportunity to participate in a forum, but and we're now quite used to a virtual format as well. It's different face-to-face to the virtual, but I think that's a really great opportunity to connect people into what is really a very safe space for those participants in the forum group. We have an annual conference. We've got celebrating our 25th birthday in a few weeks' time. And so Angus Kennard, the chair, and I are attending each of those celebrations in each state. And that's going to bring out some brilliant family business stories. And you, as you know, Ollie, everybody loves a story. So I'm really excited to sort of visit all the states and hear the local stories and their successes, possibly a few warts along the way as well. So I think for me, the really critical thing is we need to continue to build a really strong family business community and support each other. And certainly from an FBA perspective, it's really focused on supporting family businesses. And I do like how you mentioned that family businesses are so important to the fabric of Australia. So there are some, I'll say, economic and macro headwinds that are out there that people, I think, obviously are aware or need to be aware of. But in terms of through FBA, what do you see as the opportunities for small business and what does the future look like for them? Well, I think we see ourselves as being there to lend a hand and whether it be someone in a forum group or someone actually just standing about the dynamics and how they can manage them in their family business, we're actually there to support. And it's interesting because a lot of people talk about, say, small and family business and a lot of government departments put small and family together. 
what we really need to appreciate that some of the biggest businesses in Australia are also family businesses and what they give back to communities in various ways is so important as well. So I think, you know, yes, there are headwinds ahead, but I think there's a message of you're not alone either. And I was only talking yesterday to one of our board members who was saying someone in her forum group which is a virtual one, is really struggling in business. And that is her safe space to get some help to navigate through some of the challenges. And not everyone's going to make it, but at least, you know, we are here to support family businesses and we've got to do that day in and day out. And so if people are looking for more information on any of the services and what you guys are up to, where can they find it? So jump onto our website, familybusinessassociation.org. And there's plenty of stuff there about events and we've got regional offices. So we do have representation in all the mainland states. So we can always, and there's a 1300 or 1800 number. I should know that off the top of my head. <laughs> no, you're absolutely fine. So, you know, and we've also got New Zealand. So we actually were, I'm off to New Zealand in a couple of weeks. And so we've got this network that we were expanding outside of Australia. So if you're in New Zealand, have a look there. And if you're in Australia, it is a 1800 number, 249357. So plenty and info at familybusiness.org.au. So there's plenty of ways to get in touch with us. And we'd be really happy to help any business with Whatever they need, that's what we're here for. It's not about us telling people what they need. It's about them telling us what they need and we should be finding a solution. You know what you need to remember the number? You just need a little jingle because oh. they work well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want one from me, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> well, Catherine, thank you so much for jumping on and having a little bit of a chat with us and can't wait to see what's ahead and cross paths at various events. Absolutely. Thanks, Ollie. It's been great. Well, that's it for another episode from us here at humans of agriculture we hope you're enjoying these podcasts and well if you're not let us know hit us up at hello at humans get in touch with any guest recommendations topics or things you'd like us to talk and get curious about if you enjoyed this episode please share it with a friend rate subscribe review it any feedback is absolutely awesome and we really do welcome it so look after yourselves stay safe stay sane we'll see you next time see ya